Welcome to episode 245 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. What's stopping you from sharing your brilliance with the world? That was the question I wanted to ask my client. We've been discussing the logistics of her minimally viable product, and I'd helped her overcome every objection she could think of. We made the RSVP goal smaller. We figured out a free venue. We discussed how to survey participants before the event so she could tailor it to their needs. We talked about how she could also speak to her participants before the event so she could build rapport with them and learn more about how she could help them. We figured out a stripped down RSVP process that wouldn't require a lot of technical know-how. We planned out when to send the invitation to her email list and who could give her feedback about her event description. Any and every objection had been addressed. Yet, she was not enthusiastically running forward with her idea, an idea she'd been talking about for months and not taking action on. So, I told her a story about a friend who'd received a ton of advice about her business from well-meaning colleagues who never stopped to ask what was holding her back from taking her business to the next level. This friend had been nearly doubling her business three years in a row and was feeling stuck at her current plateau, not knowing how to break through to the next level. I congratulated my friend on all of her success and pointed out that she was a smart and savvy businesswoman, and if she really wanted to do more, she would be doing it. Something was stopping her. And that's when she finally shared what was holding her back. She was worried about how her insecure partner was going to feel about her making more money than them. Well, I said, then you're not going to commit to the work you need to do until you've addressed this concern, or you'll need to redefine what success is and be content with where you are. I told my client that it's easy to tell people, you just need to do this or that, but helping them uncover the block that's preventing them from taking action That's a different skill set. My client took all this in and then shared what deep down was holding her back. It was an old wound that she thought she had dealt with, but was quickly realizing that was what was causing her to drag her feet. Your challenge for this week. Have you been struggling to move a project forward? Are you telling yourself a story about external issues or the reason? Is that a true story or is there more to it? If every one of those obstacles was resolved, would you still be holding back? If so, then that needs to be addressed before you can make real progress in your business, or you'll need to redefine success and stop dragging around this to-do list that you never intend to do. That will free up psychic space to work on something that you're truly committed to. Try this and let me know how it goes. Before we dive into this week's interview, I wanted to let you know that in 2022, I'm running a year-long mastermind for like-minded entrepreneurs who want to grow together through the highs and lows of business and life. Reach out if you'd like to be in the know when those details become available. I'd love to chat and find out what you're looking for in a community. Email Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. Also, the story I shared today was first published in my weekly email on October 9th, 2018, and will be featured in my new book, Your Challenge for This Week, Business and Life Lessons for Entrepreneurs. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest can help anyone make networking an art, not an accident. 
He is a principal consultant at Contacts Count, a global training and development firm that has developed eight specific competencies, a mix of skills, behaviors, tools, and strategies to teach individuals and organizations the value of networking. He has worked with individuals in almost every profession and industry to improve their ability to build mutually beneficial, trust-based relationships, relationships that can help his clients improve their performance in the job, advance their career, and add value to their organization. These skills are also critical to success when seeking new employment opportunities. An accomplished human resources professional, he has worked for over 25 years at organizations as diverse as Dunkin' Donuts and the American Chemistry Council. Please join me in welcoming Vern Schellinger. Thank you, Robbie. Pleasure to be here. Vern, thanks so much for joining us from your home office in Naples, Florida. Thrilled that you're here. And as you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? My definition of, of leadership really uh, uh, is around servant leadership. And I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard of that. Um, and and I, I actually had these beliefs before the book was long before the book was written about servant leadership. But, you know, the dignity and respect of individuals listening to people, um, providing empathy, because as a leader, um, there is no leader without followers. Um, and, and in order to, to have your followers buy in and, and, and follow you wherever you're going to lead, uh, I just believe that's, that's, the, that's the key to success. Um, helping people grow, helping people develop, helping people learn, because as a leader, your success is really dependent on their success. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, really, it is as simple as that. I mean, there's, there, there's no leaders without followers. And if you can help them build up their own lives, their own success, that just, you know, I think the leaders who get that do really well. And the rest just try to like dictate their way, which is not leadership, right? It's like they're trying to get everyone to go on the same path. But if you can, if you can embrace people and uplift them, then they're more willing to follow you. I love that. So when did you start to get a sense that you had some skills in this area? Well, um, it actually began when I first started managing a Dunkin' Donut shop. Um, now, I, I kind of gotten thrown into that position. Uh, I had actually been in a mat. Now, this is also about careers, right? So I was in a career that had me in a master's program, biology, behavioral ecology, I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I said, I'm so frustrated. I need to walk away. I need to do something and, and just clear my head. So I said, I just applied for all kinds of jobs. Finally walked into a Dunkin' Donut shop, became a baker. The manager left. I don't remember why. And they said, you need to manage the store. I said, I don't know anything about managing stores. I don't know anything about retail operation. They said, how, old, how old were you? Were you grad school age, like 20s? Yeah, I was probably 26, 27. <laughs> right? You're in charge. <laughs> yeah, you're in charge. And I had 180 hours of college credits, not one, not one credit hour in business management or anything like that. So it was, it was then that, you know, it was the same thing, just uh, getting to know the people, supporting the people, supporting the staff, um, using some common sense as far as I was concerned at that point. And lo and behold, sales increased and profits increased. Right? And so it was a combination of, uh, I don't know that I was a very good leader at that point, but it was a combination of seeing the staff um, 
morale improved, the staff feeling good about what they were doing, seeing the sales and profits increase, which as a leader, not only is it about the people and making them successful, but the organization has to succeed. And the learning for me, it was a, it was really transformational for me at that point because achieving results and, and seeing those tangible results was like a light switch. I said, oh my God, this is what motivates me. And I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel in graduate school. And, uh, and the next thing I knew, I was managing another store and sales and profits went up and another store and sales and profits went up, which is kind of the pathway that I got into corporate at, at Dunkin' Donuts. Wow. You know, it's so interesting because I have a similar story that I don't have actually talked about much in this show. It's hard to find something I haven't talked about, Vern, in five years. But um, I, uh, I was ready. To, I was working at a restaurant and the restaurant closed and I was in college. And uh, that's how I was making some money. And I needed another job. And I loved Taco Bell. Uh, you know, this is back in the time when I used to go there all the time. And so I stopped there for lunch during my like dropping off applications day. And they had a help wanted sign. And I was like, well, I'll fill it out. And when the guy realized that I would do nights and weekends, <laughs> he got so excited. He was <laughs> yeah. like, what size shirt do you want? And I was like, I'll, I'll come back on Wednesday. And it's like, oh my God, I have three days to find another job. <laughs> and so I came back on Wednesday because I had not yet found a job. And three days later, the two managers like looked at each other because I answered a question by a client, by a customer about a product correctly uh, without hesitating. I was like, oh, it was actually a seven layer burrito question. And today I don't think I could tell you what was in a seven layer burrito, but I, I knew it but then. I remember... And they pulled me aside and they said, do you want to be a shift manager? And so I became a shift manager on Friday and Saturday nights. And we ran so well as a team that we actually did all the extra cleaning on the Friday and Saturday night shifts because yeah. people, we just knew how to, I mean, I was having people take turns, take breaks. I was digging in and their friend of all the people that were working there worked a lot of the other nights. He sat in the office. He was smoking pot in the bathroom. You know, like so he was a leader in name, but he wasn't demonstrating it, right? So they they started to like not have as much respect for him. And I wasn't their friend, but they were like, "Well, when we work with Robbie, we actually get breaks and we do yeah. interesting things." And he asked us what we want to do. So <laughs> it is really interesting how like those formative leadership opportunities were. I didn't know what I was getting into and I wasn't looking for a leadership role. I just, you know, I literally wanted a job. And similar to you, you're like, I'm just here to bake, you know? <laughs> but I'm curious, I have a feeling if we roll the tape back a little further, you know, that that wasn't the very first time. What, what were you like in, in, I don't know, on the playground? Like, what were you like in grade school? Did you run for office in, 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 in high school or college? Did you like organize people? What were you like? Well, in, in, in grade school, uh, I, I, grade school to me, all I remember, what I remember is I was pretty good in school and I love to play sports. And so I just played, you know, after school, I was playing baseball, basketball, football, whatever it was. Uh, in high school, I did, I did uh, become more of a, a leader. I was the president of the senior class and that type of thing. Uh, however, um, I was so naive at that point. And uh, our high school guidance counselor probably should have retired 20 years prior to me being there. <laughs> I applied to two colleges. I got rejected at both. 
And it's now April of my senior year, and I don't have any college to go to. And the guidance counselor picked up the phone, called Syracuse University. I lived in, in Syracuse, said, hey, I got a guy that'll commute back and forth. Would you take him as a student? They said, sure. You know, that was easy money for him. Right? <laughs> so, and that's how I got into college. And it was absolutely the wrong college for me. So, um, Yeah, you weren't set off on the right path, it sounds like. No, not at all. And I, and I made a commitment to myself after my college career that I had children, which I did. I was going to make sure <laughs> their college hold the whole process from applying to, to graduating was going to be smooth. And it was. So I'm, it's one of the things I'm actually pretty proud of. So I think that's what's so hard if you're, uh, you know, in a family that doesn't have a lot of people who've gone through this experience, then you're kind of on your own. Yeah, it was, it was, that was the difficult part. My, my father actually died when I was nine years old. And my mother had like a sixth grade education. So she didn't know anything about this. And of course, I didn't. And as I said, I didn't get really great guidance at, at that point. I really didn't know what I was doing. And uh, so uh, it turned out all right, I think, at, at the end of the day. But, but that, was a, that was a tough, tough period. Uh, it sounds like there's a lot of resilience in your story, too, though, that you didn't ha- like there was things you wanted to be like you had a sense of this grad school program. Uh, was it a grad school program? The one that you yeah, were taking yeah, that yeah. you were like, I don't, this is going on, but I don't know where it's going. Yeah. You were also willing to step away from it. And that says a lot too, because there are a lot of people who are like, well, I'm in this, you know, I, I'm in law school. I've got to finish the law school. And then they're like, I really never wanted to be a lawyer. I realized that in the second semester, yeah. but you had another opportunity um, it's so interesting. This, this Duncan story really opened up a whole new path that you didn't sound like you had no idea that was a path before you. No, absolutely not. So, and, and that turned into a 25 year career with, with Duncan Donuts. So, um, wow. Wow. And so really I, I got to know you because of networking actually. <laughs> so, um, we, we got connected, um, you're with, uh, doing, uh, your principal consultants at a company called, Contacts count, and you you kind of got attracted into that space as a person who was looking to learn, but you but presumably along the way you hit like up until that point you had sort of picked up some things in your career. How did how did relationships as you were moving through Dunkin' Donuts and on your career path like how did that influence what happened next or what doors ended up opening because the way you were interacting with your network. Well, it, it, when you and I had some initial conversations, I think I, I mentioned when I was with Dunkin' Donuts, um, for those 25 years, um, I worked hard. I kept my nose to the grindstone. I kept getting promoted. Um, and so life was good, uh, you know, and I really didn't know much about networking at all. Um, didn't see the need for it at that point. Um, and it wasn't until I made the decision to leave Dunkin' Donuts that uh, now I'm starting to look for a job, and I all of a sudden realized that, oh my God, I don't know anything about networking, and this seems to be pretty important if you're going to find a job, right? <laughs> so I, I think I told you before, at Dunkin' Donuts, I saw myself as the unconscious incompetent. I mean, I didn't know networking. I didn't know how to do it. I, I didn't even know, know it existed. And all of a sudden, now I become the conscious incompetent. I know that networking is important, but I haven't got a clue how to do it. Uh, the good news was I was with an outplacement agency in Boston, uh, New Directions, that 
did a fantastic job and actually taught me some of the basics of networking. I still made a lot of mistakes in that job search, but I finally landed a job. Um, and then not too long after that, I was fired from that job um, unexpectedly. And so now I'm trying to find another job. And again, networking played a, played a role in that. So I became aware of how important networking was. And I actually told one of the, the people that I had met, my, my, my experience at, at New Directions was so positive. I said, I actually could see myself playing a role in that outplacement career transition field. And she called me a couple of years later and said, Lee Heck Harrison is, you know, um, interviewing for the, you know, director of operations here in Washington, Metro DC. Are you interested? I said, absolutely. So I got that job. And now I'm now I'm a conscious competent. I'm actually teaching other people how to network and how important it is. And I thought I knew everything there was to know about networking. And then I discovered contacts count. And again, that came through an executive coach who hooked me up with Lynn Wayman, the founder of, of Contents Count, read the first book. And I said, wow, there's even more stuff about networking that I didn't know. And so that's how I became a principal consultant. And now I live, I breathe it. I, I'm a, I feel like I'm like a Billy Graham evangelist talking about networking to anybody and everybody who will listen to it. So. Well, let me, I want to break this down a little bit. Um, that part you were saying initially about how you know, you had your nose down, just doing the work, getting, getting, you know, advancing your career, getting the promotions 25 years in, didn't see a need for networking, didn't know a lot about it, unconscious, incompetent. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people live in that space for a very long time until they need something from their network, which is in this case, the job, which I think happens a lot. And then, you know, unfortunately, that's when you suddenly hear from people on LinkedIn who you haven't heard from forever, and they send you their resume without you asking for it. And they tell you what they're looking for, but it's just like, I don't know you. I don't remember you. I don't, I don't, who are you again? You know? So like definitely want to stop doing that, but it sounds like you got some great, you know, ideas for how to do this from this job placement company yeah. and you started to implement it and it started to work for you. And I'm, I'm sure that you were getting past the basics in that process. So I'm really curious because um, I haven't actually done, I mean, I got introduced a little bit to Context Count, but I haven't had a chance to check out all of their material. I'm curious, what what was noticeably the more, like when you said this was more advanced or this was like went to greater depth or was just more nuanced, like what was it that you went, wow, there's more to this than the basics? So I think like you had the basics covered, it was working for you, you're meeting people, you were getting the jobs you needed. And then you discovered that this was, another level of the, of like what networking could be. Well, in, in terms of um, the, the time with new directions in Boston, um, like I said, they, they did outplacement. It, it, to me, it's still the gold standard. And, and even after I worked with Lee Harrison, um, and, which is a global, you know, company for, for career management and of course, teaching people how to network. So here's an example of how, I, I just discovered how powerful networking can be. During my job search uh, back then, I had focused on geographically Atlanta. I mean, I was like the senior vice president of human resources, Dunkin' Donuts. A lot of fast food chains happened to be headquartered in Atlanta. So I talked to my consultant about that. And 
I walk into the office the next day and the receptionist hands me this list of 20, 25 people, all of whom live in Atlanta, all of whom are alumni of New Directions, and all of whom every piece of information, name, address, cell phone, uh, work address, uh, you know, work email. And so I start to reach out to these people. And I, you know, I said, I'm Brent Challenger. I got your, your name from, from New Directions to a person. How can I help you? And it, and it struck me that the experience they had at New Directions was so powerful. They wanted to stay connected and help others. And so that's when I said, wow, you know, look at these people. I don't even know these people and they're willing to help me. And they actually got me some interviews. Done. You know, I never ended up in Atlanta, but they actually introduced me. They had, I had interviews with, with people uh, in Atlanta. Um, and, and so that was a, that was a, a real eye opener to me that uh, if you really build a mutually beneficial trust, trust-based relationship, you know, new directions help them so much they wanted to now help new directions be successful. So man, alumni networks are just so powerful in any context. And yes. I've been talking about this even now. Uh, you know, we're in this world where in-person events are not happening and are and gonna be delayed for a bit longer, probably. And um, and yet all these alumni organizations are finding creative ways to bring their communities together. Um, yes. I've, I've done a bunch of member engagement, alumni engagement type of events or alumni appreciation events and um, as a virtual event producer. And I think it's so awesome because this is how, you know, you don't have to have been in the same class. You don't right. have to have gone through it in exactly the same year. You could just yeah. say, I went through that experience just like you. And, you know, and then it's like that, uh, you know, how, how can I help you? I love that because doesn't it change your perception? Because I feel like a lot of people go into networking thinking it's a, like a, what's in it for me. And either they think that or they think everyone else is thinking that. And it's a defense mechanism then. They're like, well, then I don't want to help anyone because then, you know, what's it? I, I can't help everybody. Yeah. But you were like probably pretty amazed to discover people who were complete strangers to you who only had this one connection point, which was New Directions, were like, sure, what can I do? Like, is that like a big mindset shift for you? Yeah, especially uh, as I said, I was I was learning how to network, and I I know even when I was in that job search, and I was, and, you know, in some cases I was cold calling people. Maybe one of the other um, uh, experiences I had, again, I was still connected with a lot of people at Dunkin' Donuts, both corporately and among the franchise community. And I remember someone I don't even remember who it was said, "Well, you want to talk to so and so? She was like the HR director." for a multi-unit franchise owner. So multi-unit franchise owners sometimes had, you know, three or 400 employees. It was a small organization. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll call this person. So cold call, um, so-and-so said I should talk to you, told her a little bit about myself. Um, and at the end of the conversation, she said, well, I just talked to an executive recruiter the other day who was looking for a VP of HR. And I think the job is like in Maryland, um, you know, would you be interested? And I said, absolutely, because I was starting to reach the point where the money was running out. <laughs> and if you're in the job search, that becomes, you, you do get a little bit desperate. So I'll talk to anybody about any job. And so met with the executive recruiter, flew to Maryland, interviewed, and that, and I got the job that made the move from Boston to, you know, Maryland back in 2000, about 
1998, 1999. Yeah, isn't it funny? And like that door would never have been opened for you if you hadn't reached out. That, that's, that's right. And, and, and you know this, and, and I say this all the time to people who, when I'm working as a career coach with people, you just never know where the opportunity will come from. And so the more people you talk to, the greater, you know, you're actually increasing the odds that you're going to find a lead or an opportunity uh, where you're going to get the interview, which is in the job search. That's where you got to get to. You got to get to the interview um, in order to, to eventually get an offer. So, you know, I can imagine, though, that there are people who could have been given a phone number or a list of numbers like you did from New Direction um, and then not taken any action. Yes, yes. And, and, and at contacts count, that's one of the, that's one of the challenges we find with, uh, with a lot of people. They're just, they're, they're hesitant to kind of get out of that comfort zone, um, and, and take that first step. Um, but once people start to experience, you know, the, the, the results, the, the positive results, then it, then the snowball starts to roll down the hill for most people. Um, my wife did a job hunt. Um, she was in higher ed. She was director of residence life for her whole career. And she knew she wanted to shift away from that. But, you know, it was a lot of like, what else can I do? You know, mm-hmm. and I, we were describing her, like, what are her transferable skills, whatever her interests, passion. And then ed tech came up and ed tech, you know, it, she loves technology. She loves education. This has some interest in, in experience in this area. So then it was like, well, you know, who do we know? And so I looked on my LinkedIn and I found a bunch of people and then she was searching around. And so what she would do is she would find a, a, a job listed and then she'd look on that company on LinkedIn to see if anybody had experience in higher ed. And then she would reach out to that person regardless of their title. Now, the first time, this was not a comfortable thing for her. No. <laughs> She's a no. shy extrovert, does not like putting herself out there. So, but the response from so this is the, basically her question was, I would like to follow what you did. You went from this, you know, industry to this industry. You you went from higher ed to ed tech. And I'd like to hear more about that journey. Yeah. And every single person got on a call with her. Yeah. And you know, and this was pre-pandemic. So she was scheduling Zoom calls. Yeah. And uh, they were all in favor of it. Like she didn't have to travel anywhere, she didn't take up much of their time. But when she then later applied to those companies, those same people vouched for her yeah. and like put in a recommendation internally for her to get in. And that's actually how she got her role. And so, but her, but I have to tell you, her desire to do these increased. <laughs> she was like, well, I'll do these six times a week. I mean, this has been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, uh, part of the reason those folks vouched for her, and this is something we try to get to you know, when we're working with, with clients at Context Count, when you start to build that relationship and you have um, the opportunity to dialogue and have conversation, you're displaying in one form or another your character and competence. And, and the other person is displaying their character and competence. Now it's, you know, you get bits and pieces of it. I mean, you, you know, if somebody says they're an expert, you don't really know unless they, you actually you know, have some tangible evidence, but the more conversations you have and the more you display your character and competence, then it becomes easy for the other person to vouch for you. They've had enough conversations with you where they, they, they have a pretty good idea of who you are and how competent you are and, and, and they can vouch for you. 
the opposite in the in the example you gave about people on LinkedIn and I don't know you and so forth and on, and you want me to stick my neck out for you, <laughs> right? And I'm gonna you want me to recommend you and I hardly even know you. And what happens if you become, you know, you don't present well? Now people in my network look back on me and say, Vern, you know, why are you doing that? Right. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's uh So I mean yet yeah, it's it's like you can you can tap your network and the larger network, uh, meaning reaching out and cold calling people when looking for work. Like I think they're looking for work parts, like an example that people always feel really fraught about. But there's different, we just described two different ways of doing it. One that leads to relationships that warm up quickly, that lead to new introductions, that lead to new job opportunities, that lead to new offers. And the other one, which is where you just like spam your whole network by like downloading their emails from LinkedIn and just saying like, everybody, you're in my LinkedIn, here's my CV. And you know, if you know anyone and I'm like, delete. <laughs> um, I love connecting people. I mean, I feel like this is an innate thing. There are some people in the world that I really like, love, love making introductions. I love making referrals. You know, I've got a handful of people in my life that I probably bring up weekly because I love what they're doing and the people I know need to know about them. And I feel like other people are like hardwired to sort of not do that. And there's, so they, they don't put a lot of goodwill out into their network. Yeah. So then when they need something, there's like a negative in that bank account. <laughs> yes. yes. How would you counsel someone to shift that so that they were more likely to be putting in, even when they don't need anything right now, they just like give back. As you say, that's a, um, that's a problem that, you know, run into with, with, with people who, who just say that, you know, I don't like networking. I've had bad experiences. My approach is try to try to get to understand who they are and, and, and their personalities. What, what are the, what are the barriers? What, what's holding them back? Um, and, and try to get them to inch out <laughs> and try something a little bit and, and, and see if, you know, they can put their foot in the water. Oh, that wasn't so bad, right? Now let's put the leg in the water and, and move that way. That's, you know, that's what I found worked. Uh, I just had an experience. Uh, I'm actually doing a program right now with the Georgetown Law School. Uh, and it's a, it's a subset of the law students who are, who are in this program called the Business Law Scholar Program. Their goal is eventually to become lawyers in a company, a general counsel or something like that. Um, and so I, I, I've done a couple of webinars and I've done a, um, a few other things with them. And, and one, one young woman reached out to me and, and she threw LinkedIn and she said, she said, I just want to thank you so much for the webinar. She said, because networking is not my favorite thing. I, I, I resisted it, but some of the things you said in the webinar made sense. So A, I thanked her, uh, and then B, I said, can we have a conversation? And so I had a conversation with her, and we went a little bit deeper. Okay, what is it about networking that, that, that you don't like? And she said, you know, you, teach, you talk at Context Count about teaching and giving, you know, teaching others about who you are, and then learning about them so you can give back. She says, I always feel so much pressure to give. I don't know what to give. I said to her, I said, Rebecca, do you realize right now you're giving to me? You're giving me your time, but more importantly, 
you're giving me feedback about this program that I'm running that hopefully I can use that to help improve the program. So I just felt, I felt so satisfied that I, I, I started to open her eyes up to don't put so much pressure on you to think that you have to come up with this magnanimous, magnanimous give right in the moment. Um, so hopefully, you know, that'll be something that she'll, she'll, uh, she'll take forward. So. I love this because I think you're right that the give is such a big part of it. Uh, and that when people aren't, I don't, don't have a history of doing this, they think it has to be like, I don't know, like Oprah, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. <laughs> and um, one of my favorite stories about this um, is, uh, and I was, I was told this story like 10 years later, but at the time it was a young man who was like, you know, early 20s at a conference, there was a, uh, I don't know, some really big deal speaker on stage. And when the speaker got off stage, everyone clamored to come around him. And he had, um, he was ha having a little cold. And so he'd asked someone to get him tea and they gave him tea in a paper cup with no sleeve. So he's gingerly holding this tea that is too hot to drink while everyone is coming up to take, you know, selfies and talk to him. And this young man sees what's going on, goes and gets another paper cup, and then just kind of quietly leans in and puts the cup underneath and hands him back his now double-layered insulated cup. And he got invited to sit next to this big deal speaker for the rest of the evening at the speaker's table. Um, and it's just like, that is a give. Like, yeah. you paid attention. And that speaker was like, grateful so it's just, I love this. And it's actually the speaker who told me that story. Um, and it's just like, I, I think, the, and that's a memorable story that someone's told me 10 years later. Really, yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. that was a moment that stuck out to them. Someone who like saw them and saw their need. And doesn't matter how big you are, little things are needed sometimes. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's as simple as, you know, if you're talking to someone and you learn about what they do or what they're interested in and you see an article, you know, a week later, a month later, uh, and you send it to them, you know, the more than likely they'll appreciate that. That's not a hard thing to do. Right. Uh, when the, uh, when the zoom cat thing happens, <laughs> Vern, I knew it because I got it on every inbox and every social channel in the same hour. Like <laughs> everybody was texting me, I got it tweeted at me. It was in my inbox. It was in my Facebook messages. I think people know what I'm doing these days because they all were like, have you seen this? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think the flip side is be known for something. You know, because right. like, I mean, if you're not known for anything, then it's really hard for me to think of a way to add value to your life. Um, so like, you know, have a hobby or have a passion or have a purpose in the world, I think it'd really be helpful. Um, don't make it some, like, if I was still as passionate about collecting stuffed animal seals as I was at eight years old, I'd be flooded with seals. <laughs> I, I, when you move on, you got to let your network know you've moved on. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and that's, that's why we talk, when we talk about teaching and giving, the only way you can give is to learn about the other person. And uh, we have a, 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 whole, a whole series of uh, exercises, questions. We, we use the analogy of an iceberg, you know, when you first meet somebody, you know, it's above the waterline. And yet, you know, um, you know, there's so much more to this person than what you what you're initially seeing above the waterline. So the more you, conversations you have, the more 
in depth, the more deeper the questions become or they should become. And you get to know that person better. And the more and more you know about this person, the greater likelihood you can give. And the big, the gifts can actually become bigger. You know, they, they can really become grand. Uh, I have this, this great story about a colleague of mine um, who said to me at a, at a breakfast meeting, said, so what's new? What's, what's up with you? And he's, and I said, well, I, I have to tell you about this client. I just uh, started working with from the World Bank. Uh, he's from Kenya, grew up in Kenya, graduated college in Kenya, went to work in his family businesses. They got real estate, education, farming, big portfolio business. He said he failed miserably. He came to the United States, got an MBA. He is now like a senior leader at the risk management in the World Bank. His goal was to go back to Kenya and, and help his family because his parents were getting older and to create more economic development for the, for the people of, of Kenya. I said, wow, what a, what a worthy goal. So I'm telling this to Jeff, my, my friend. And Jeff said, well, that's interesting. He said, one of my best friends, Martin, grew up in South Africa and he came to the United States and he got educated in the United States. And now he wants to go back to South Africa, right? And, and create economic development. Well, don't we hook up Cello and Martin, and now they're helping each other. And I, I'm, I'm saying, imagine if, if, if Jeff would have said, so what's new? Oh, not much, Jeff. Uh, you know, been nice weather down here in Naples and how are how you doing, right? We could have walked right by that. But that's actually a skill we try to teach people. When they say, what's new, what's, what's going on? Tell them something about what's going on in your life. And, you know, they, who knows where that will lead. Yeah, it, it's a, you know, this is sort of the, the flip side to, um, to be interesting, be interested, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's his story. Um, but if, uh, if you're not sharing something about yourself at all, like if you're just a person who's a reporter with your list of 20 questions, dutifully taking notes, then you're not, it's not an equal, it's not a full relationship, right? So like some people I think error too much in the, I'll just sit here and ask questions and right. I, I'm comfortable doing that, but I don't know. I don't want to talk about myself. And in this case, you shared a story about a client and that led to this amazing new connection yeah. that would never have come up on its own. And, and the story actually doesn't end there because here's what Jeff shared with me. And I was at a different meeting. Jeff said to me, he said, I would really like to go to Mars. I said, really? <laughs> I said, I said, you know, that's it's like the end of your life if you go to Mars, right? He said, yes, I, I realize that. So this was bouncing around in my head. Six months later, my daughter, working for State Street Bank in Boston, gets selected for a leadership development program. She tells me about it. I said, well, that's awesome. She said, you'll never guess who my mentor is. I said, who? Leroy Chow. He's the most decorated astronaut. He's had the longest command of the International Space, Organ Space Station than any astronaut in history so far. I said, really? I said, can you introduce me to Leroy? Sure enough, Leroy and I have a conversation, LinkedIn. He's starting a new consulting business. We talked about that. I said, you know, Leroy, I have a friend named Jeff. Would you mind talking to him? And, and I hooked the two of them up. I love it. I mean, and, and so that's, that's just gratifying for me to, you know, Jeff's thrilled. He can't believe that he's going to get to talk to this astronaut. 
And so this is where relationships get built over time. And you know, the, I have a, my mentor is Dory Clark and she has this rule that she doesn't ask for anything from somebody in that first year of getting to know them. She doesn't try to make any big asks of somebody. Right. Because you really have to develop, like, I mean, if you think of it, a bank account, right? You have to sort of deposit. And then I had Jordan Harbinger um, of the Jordan Harbinger show, yeah. uh, formerly Art of Charm podcast host on as a guest. And in that conversation, we were talking about how networks are sort of like an insurance policy. And he had been giving all throughout the time he was at Art of Charm, he was the top of his game, and he didn't need anything. He was just giving and supporting, help, you know, help people with their own book launches and product launches. And then he lost all of that and had to start over. And he actually came back really strong, really fast because there was an entire community of people who were just, just showed up for him in an amazing way. And you don't pay for insurance hoping to use it. Like you don't say I'm paying this homeowner's insurance. I hope I have to use it next month. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it, that was a great analogy in my mind. Think about like just putting a little in every month. And then, you know, if something were to happen, like you needed a new job or you're working on a new product launch. I feel like when I hit that moment with the pandemic, I had a lot of support right away from my sort of bigger community. And when I started hosting my free No My Bad, New More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour, it took on a, a life of its own being spread out into the world. So I don't spend a lot of time promoting it anymore. It's just happening. And now it's been over a year. And it absolutely relaunched my business, helped me reinvent in a, in a big way, multiple revenue streams that I would not have invented on my own. But if I, it's like all, it's, it's like 10 years in the making, right? Overnight success, 10 years in the making, because it's everything I did in the 10 years prior to the pandemic that mattered. And I, and I think, you know, your story is the opposite story, which is where you spend 25 years not putting in, and then you're like, oh my God, now I have to go look for a job. Yeah. So anyone listening, like learn the lesson from Vern. <laughs> Start putting in now. Is there another little tidbit that you would share um, around networking? And in particular, what I'm curious about, how do you stay in touch with not just that inner circle, but your like your second and third layers out, um, the people you see maybe uh, once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago, but you're, you know these are people you like, yeah. uh, but you don't have a reason to work with them right now. Do you have any habits or philosophies or practices that help you maintain and sustain those connections? Um, I, nothing specific comes to mind that I, I could give as a, as a tip. For me, it, it just seems that every once in a while, I'll, I'll see that person's name on LinkedIn, or they'll send me an email about something, and it may have been six months, and I immediately say, I need to reach out. I need to reconnect with, with uh, you know, this person. And, and so I would say for those people in the second and third, you know, rings of, of the network, um, most of them, um, I will touch at least two or three times a year, just because, you know, they're interested in the same things I am. Uh, that's one of the things that, that, that kind of draws you close together. Or, um, or I see something, again, specific. Now, one thing you should do as you learn about people, try to remember, you know, the, the more you learn about people, like Jeff telling me he wants to go to Mars. Now, how many people will tell you they want, you know, that's what they want to do. So, so that was like, you know, a 
you know, like a flashing light going off when Jen said astronaut and stuff. Um, so it's, if, if you can remember certain things that people are really passionate about, and even if you don't see them for six months, but then you see something that connects to their passion, uh, that's the way I'll, I'll always reach out and connect, reach back out to them. It's almost more meaningful when you remember months later to follow up with something that specific. Do you have any kind of um, CRM or spreadsheet or stack of index cards? Like, you know, I, I don't, and and I know some some people swear by them, and and what and and my answer to that is whatever works for you. I mean, if you need a spreadsheet and you you keep that religiously, that that's a great tool. Um, I I just kind of rely on my memory, and and you know, I I think I've been been pretty blessed and, and able to do it that way. But the the the, the key thing is stay in touch with those people somehow, some way on a, on a somewhat frequent basis. So, yeah, I think that also the piece that I don't want to overlook is that you take action when you, when you see them or think of them, you actually reach out to them. And I think other people aren't not yet doing that. So they might think of somebody and then think, Oh, it's been a while and then not take the action. So, so, you know, in some ways you're good at this because you've moved past the inertia part that yes. a lot of people are still kind of mired in where they're like, well, I don't want to just like disrupt them. They're going to think I want something. Maybe yeah. you do want something. <laughs> so, you know, and it's like, uh, and I actually, I've gotten so to the other side of this that if I do need something, I think of it as an opportunity to make someone feel awesome for helping yes. fulfill that need. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And if I ask the right person for the right thing and they can easily do it, yeah. it's like such an easy way for them to give back. So uh, you 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 know you and I were introduced by Lisa Lisa Owens. I reached out. This program that I'm doing with Georgetown Law has been kind of a pilot program, and it's going well. And so I'm anticipating, and they're anticipating that this will become a three-year program. They'll be you know networking all three years of law school, and so I'm trying to figure out well how would I design and deliver that. I reached out to to, to Lisa. I said, Lisa, you're the author of Modern Learning, Designing for Modern Learning. Here's some of my ideas. What are your ideas? What do you think? And she gave me some great ideas yesterday to, to think about, okay, maybe it'll work this way. Maybe it'll work that way. So, um, you know, and, and, and you just know she's, she's more than willing to help me and I'm more than willing to, I mean, that's still mutually trust-based relationship that, that, that's been developed. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel like that's, that makes so much sense that you know specifically who to reach out to. They know that when they need you or if they need to refer someone to you, that you'll pick up the phone and pass things along. And it yeah. doesn't have to be one-to-one. You know, I think that if you think of a tit, tit for tat, now you're doing the like trying to keep everything even, you know, yeah. and, and that doesn't work either, right? Like you can't just be like keeping score. I have a friend that I met first day of junior high in 1987. And, you know, do we talk every week? No. But when it happens, it happens. And it's like, that's, that's a great relationship to have where you just kind of pick up where you go and, you know, kind of develop that kind of just show up, show up and be of value whenever you can. Um, I would love to know, this is my wrap up, one of my favorite wrap up questions here as we're moving to the close of this. If we were meeting a year from now, and I know we're going to stay in touch, Vern, because you and I are the kind of people that do that. Uh, if we're celebrating all of your successes from this past year what are we going to be toasting? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? 
most looking forward to the year ahead. Um, one is this Georgetown Law Program, because just based on this first six months with them, uh, it's really been rewarding for me. And I really do hope this becomes like a three-year part of their curriculum. So that would be that would be one. The second is um, I've worked um, with, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with teachable.com. Uh, so I've, I've done some work there and, and it's, it's, it's a work in progress, but a year from now, I'd love to see that launched uh, with some networking programs, some career coaching programs. So that's amazing. I mean, the idea of having lawyers have these kinds of skills in place was just so amazing because they, there are some great networks out there for lawyers, but they're not always being tapped, you know, leveraged. Well, this actually, the whole whole thing started, they have an advisory council of former Georgetown Law students who are now partners. And the chair of the advisory committee said, if, if, if you could go back to law school, what was the one thing that you didn't learn in law school that you wish you had? And the advisory council said, business networking skills, because now they realize, you know, how important they've been to the success of their careers. And so that's how this whole thing got started. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. Tell folks, how can they find you and follow your work? Well, the, the simplest way to get in touch with me is Vern at Contacts Count. Um, just send me an email and I, I guarantee a response. <laughs> Brilliant. We'll put a link to contactscount.com in the show notes and also a link to your LinkedIn. And folks okay. can find that at ontheschmooze.com. Uh, this was so fun to talk to you and hear about your journey. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it was fun, Robbie. And, and you mentioned Dory Clark, and she's somebody I, I read about all the time. So she's, she's really amazing. Yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> Thanks, Vern. Okay. Take care, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Vern. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 245. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode with Vern, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. Look forward to connecting again next week. And I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.